You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. All right. Thank you, girls, for that. All right. The stressful part's over, so... I know that I know I, you think I'm joking when I say that, but um, you know this. It, I just I just want it to go well because the Lord deserves it, and and those songs like that. I hope that you've come with that spirit. And really, if all of us today, I, and this isn't in my notes, so I don't know how it's going to go. If all of us today would come today and say, Lord, anything you want, we'd have revival in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Here's my everything. Lord, whatever it is that you ask of me, you have it. It's yours. And for some people in here this morning, that may be, that may be your future. If we've got a young person in here that says, um, I don't know what, what the Lord wants with my life, but I'll give him everything if he wants it. It could be um, somebody in here, you've got something you're holding on to and you know the Lord wants you to let go of because it's hindering your walk with him and it's time to let it go. And then some in here that maybe have come and you don't know that your soul is secure that your, eternity, that your eternity is sure. You don't know if you died today that you'd be on your way to heaven. Well, today's the day, Lord. Here's my everything. I, I give it to you, and I want to get that settled today. And if we could do that, well, you talk about a good Memorial Day weekend. If we would all just surrender ourselves completely, then who knows what he might do. That's not the message. That's message number one. Message number two is Genesis 18. In Genesis 18... And let's go ahead and stand as we turn to Genesis 18. And then uh, if you want to turn, put the ribbon of your Bible in John chapter 15. Uh, we're going to close uh, with John 15. And uh, when I do that, sometimes I say something like, when we get to John 15, you know we're almost done. And you can, you know, kind of the horses start to pick up, you know, their, their pace a little bit. They see the barn, the end is in sight. That's the same. When you get to John 15, you'll know that we're about done. And so Genesis 18 is where we'll start, and then we'll end up in John 15 and just read a few verses there. Genesis 18. Now, remember, we, we were in this passage last week, and last week we looked at the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? And I think we all agreed, we came away saying last week, that is a capital N, no, nothing is too hard for God. And if God can visit Sarah at 90 years old, and with Abraham almost 100, and Sarah almost 90, and allow them to have a child... At that time of their lives, there is nothing God can't do. And the, the idea last week was we come to the end of ourselves. We're on our backs like Charlie Brown after trying to kick the football. Lucy pulls it away one more time, and he's on his back. And when, when you're on your back, you've got nowhere to look but up. And God is the answer for all the biggest problems of our lives. So we're in the same passage, but we're moving from the tent now to Sodom in the second half of the chapter, I hate to tell you, is not quite as encouraging as last week. Now, it, 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 this, this text today, I think, could be, but we're coming into a dark time in the Old Testament, a dark story um, about this, this issue there in Sodom and Gomorrah. And there's a conversation that takes place at Abraham's tent that then the Lord and his two angels have business to do in Sodom. And we're going to read leading up to that, the rest of the chapter, verse 16 is where we'll start. It says, and the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. By the way, Abraham has just been hospitable. He's, this is an Old Testament, Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. And, and two angels are with him. And Abraham has just fed them. He's been a great host. And it's time for them to leave. And in that culture, it would have been fitting for you, if you have guests in your home, to walk with them a certain part of the way onto the next part of the journey. So that's what Abraham does there in verse 16. In verse 17, it says, And the Lord said to no one in particular, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him. What a phrase. I know him. That he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. High praise right there for Abraham. 
And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. This is so interesting. After he hears the news, he stays near the Lord. And Abraham, verse 23, says Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure, there be 50 righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are therein? That be far from thee, to do after this, thy manner, after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. He knows he's asking a lot. Peradventure... Thou, there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. And he spake unto him yet again and said, Peradventure there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And he said unto him, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure there shall thirty be found there. And he said, I will not, not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure, there shall be twenty found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for twenty's sake. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak yet but this once, one more time. Peradventure, ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham. And Abraham returned unto his place. Now, some texts are difficult uh, because they can go many, many different directions, and, and this one could. But today, I'd like to focus on the exchange between Abraham and the Lord, and I'm fascinated by how they interact because it's apparent that there is a close, personal relationship between the two. You might even call it a friendship. See, when you're friends with God, it brings some incredible privileges, and I think those come to light. There's a lot about God's nature we could look at. We could talk about mercy and justice, and we will. But I really want to talk about this morning the privileges of friendship with God. When you have a friend in God, you have some privileges you can't find anywhere else. We're going to look at that in Abraham's life. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I don't normally start this way with a message, but I'm going to start with a question. Are you... God's friend. Are you God's friend? See, I know that's a, a different way to start a sermon, but in a nutshell, I want you to answer that question in the next 45 minutes or so. I want you to ask yourself, am I God's friend? If God was listing out his friends, would he include me on that, pay, on that page? Would I be included on the list of God's friends? See, the greatest privilege that I can think of is to be called the friend of God. And Abraham had that kind of relationship with God. He was called the friend of God three different times in Scripture. Once in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, when facing an enemy, King Jehoshaphat said, Art not thou our God who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel? And look what Jehoshaphat says. He says, And gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever. In, in uh, Isaiah 41, in God's message to Judah through Isaiah, look what God, think about what God said. He said, but thou, Israel, he's talking to the people, art my servant. Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. God calls Abraham his friend. If you, if we're not going to turn, I'll just reference it in, in James chapter 2. Abraham, it says, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the capital F, it says, capital F, friend of God. In other words, Abraham didn't just have this name or a, a label given to him that, did, that was in passing. No, it was so, such a part of Abraham's life with God. He was such the friend of God that, it said, that he's a capital F 
friend of God, according to James chapter 2. And I'm asking you today, are you friends with God? Do you have a relationship with God that close? We throw the word friend around far too easily. And the truth is, in our culture, you can be friends with somebody you've never met. All it takes now is, okay, I'm going to click and accept that friend request. If you've never spoken to them, if you've never talked to anybody, you know, and I'm not saying there's something wrong with that, but I, am, I do think that the definition of friend in our culture has been watered down. And you can say, I've got this many friends on this social media site or this many friends here. Oh, yeah, they're my friend. And it reminds me of when my kids were little, we would take them to some place. Uh, we would take them to the park or we would take them to uh, a new place or a new church and, and they would meet a new friend. You know, there'd be another little boy, another little girl in that spot. And just yesterday, we, we went to uh, open, an open house at the park um, for, for Devin and, and uh, Jace got out and he ran and he was immediately playing with some little kids that he didn't know. And I love it. I think it's great. You know, but, but there have been times with our children, we would get back in the car after a time like that, and, and I would say, did you have fun? He'd say, yeah. Um, I played a, a lot with, this, with a new kid, and I think they're my best friend now. And it's like, oh, really? You can find a new best friend in 15 minutes. That's, that's great. What's their name? It's like, I didn't think to ask him that. So... You, you know that you can't, you know, that is a loose definition of friendship. That's not what I'm talking about when I talk about friendship with God. See, that's not the kind of friendship Abraham had with the Lord. This is not a loose definition. Abraham was God's friend. God called him his friend. And I want you to think about all the ways Abraham proved it. He proved it through obedience. And by, I mean, these are good, these are good markers. If you want to know, am I the friend of God? Here's some good markers. Number one, obedience. When God came to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham picked up, packed up, and moved, and he followed God, didn't even know where he was going, and I know he wasn't perfect, I know he had some delays, but how many of us would move on that level and sacrifice and give up everything to that level to follow a God you've never even probably heard of before? That's what Abraham did. He packed up and moved. He had a pattern of obedience to God. He wasn't perfect, but listen, you cannot be a friend of God if you don't have a pattern of obedience. Jesus said, ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. That's what, so obedience. You want to know you're a friend of God? Is there obedience in your life? Another that Abraham really mastered was worship. You want to know if you're a friend of God? Is there worship in your life? See, Abraham had a habit of everywhere he went, what did he do? We've talked about this. He built a what? He built an altar everywhere he went because he was a worshiper of God and he worshiped God when nobody else was worshiping God. You cannot be a true friend of God if you don't have a life habit of worshiping God. And folks, we need, you need to be in a, in a habit of worshiping God. You need to be in a church family. You need to spend the Lord's day in the Lord's house. When your, when your church family meets, I encourage you to be with your church family. If you want to be a friend of God, then you should have a habit of worship. And I would venture to say that your claim to friendship, if you don't have worship, it's likely not very legitimate. Another, another marker of Abraham's friendship was fellowship. Abraham and God were connected through fellowship. They had communication, they had regular interaction. And I'm asking you this morning, do you have daily fellowship with God? I mean, because you can call somebody your friend, but if you talk every five years, I'm wondering how you define your friends. How about service? Well, Abraham, boy, he served God. He was a friend of God through the way he served God. Just in this chapter alone, how he went to great lengths to be hospitable to the Lord and his companions. Your service to God is an indicator of your friendship to God. And Abraham was God's friend. I mean, he, he obeyed and he worshiped and he fellowshiped and he served God. And as I read the second half of Genesis 18, it started to dawn on me. I started to realize that this interaction, um, as amazing as it is, what I'm seeing in Genesis 18 between God and Abraham is the way that friends talk to each other. Friends at, interact with each other like Abraham and God did. This is a chapter. Now, and, and all the points that we could make about it, uh, we get to be fly, a fly on the wall. And we get to see what it's like when you're a true friend of God. The kind of interaction you can have with him. As the Lord and his two angels leave Abraham's home, God asks a significant question. 
And he asks it of nobody in particular, but I love the question. And I think it was for Abraham's sake. Look at verse, 19, or verse 17. Genesis 18, 17, it says, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? You know what he's asking? Am I really going to hide what I'm about to do in Sodom? Am I going to hide it from my friend Abraham? You know, when, you, when you've got a close friend uh, and you've got something important coming up, you want to tell them about it. And that's how important God's friendship with Abraham was. He said, Would I, shall I hide this from Abraham? He said, seeing that Abraham, verse 18, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. I mean, since Abraham has such important things to do, and listen, verse 19, maybe the most important phrase in the whole chapter, God says, for I know him. I know Abraham. He says that he will command his children and his household after him and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of. Can you see the confidence that God has in Abraham? He's like, I know him. I want to tell him what's happening. I want to give him my plans. I want him to see because I know the kind of person that he is. We are friends. And, my, and it's amazing that, that the more God knew Abraham, the more confidence he had in Abraham. Isn't that incredible? And as I was reading this, I was thinking, I want God to say that about me. I want God, when he thinks about Jason Jett, to think, you know, am I going to let him in on my plans well, yeah, I am, because I know him. And I know that Jason Jett is going to do right. He's going to live his life the right way. He's going to obey. He's going to worship. He's going to fellowship. And he's going to serve me. I know that Jason Jett is going to live that kind of life. So I want to let him in on what I'm doing. That's a privilege of friendship that you wouldn't get in other, in other places. And friends, I just want to start with that. You know some privileges of friendship that Abraham got to enjoy? He got to enjoy revelation. You know, this is significant. Revelation is God's revealing of himself to us that the God of heaven, friend, would reveal himself to any of us. Well, you talk about a privilege. It's beyond comprehension that the God of heaven would say, I want him to know. Or I want her to know. Don't take for granted that God would give any of us any information about himself. It's beyond what we deserve. But I'm just telling you, if you hold a Bible in your hands and you've got one in the pews right in front of you, that's God's revelation of himself. He left the Holy Spirit to specifically to shed light on his word for us. You have everything that you'll ever need to know about God in his book and through the Holy Spirit. He didn't just want to reveal himself. He wants you to understand him. I mean, that's, there's a difference. I don't know, you've probably in school had teachers that, that it was obvious they were just trying to get through information. They were just trying to get it out, you know. And I've been in a classroom setting. I've taught before. And, and, and you could just stand up there and read notes and just get it all out as fast as you can. But there's a difference between those kind of teachers and the kind of teacher that's not just there to get it out. He wants to get it in. He wants you to understand it. And that's the way the Lord is. God didn't just reveal himself and just say, take it or leave it, whether or not you understand it. No, he gave us the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. And he, along, every step along the way, he wants us to know. He wants to include us. And I think about what he did with Abraham. He, God wanted Abraham to know his purposes. I mean, he said, I'm about to go do something, and I want Abraham to know. The Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, verse 20, and because their sin is very grievous. I mean, this was a big deal. There was great sin going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come unto me, and if not, I will know. God's about to do something major in Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know that Sodom and Gomorrah were wicked cities back in Genesis 13. The first time we hear about him, it says the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. This was the direction that, remember this, this is an important point. This was the direction that Abraham's nephew, Lot, and his family moved toward. Lot looked and saw the well-watered plains of Jordan, and it says he pitched his tents toward Sodom. And by the time we see Lot again, he's living right in the middle of it. But it was a terrible place. Reports and uh, he, God says, there's a cry that's come to me. 
And I've heard the cry, and I don't know how this works. It reminds me of when, when God says that Abel's blood cries to him from the earth. And God knows when unrighteousness is taking place. There's accusations, there's cries of, of wickedness coming to God. And he takes it very seriously that there's such sin. And he says, okay, so I'm going to go down. This is very interesting, okay? He says, I will go down and now and see whether they have done altogether according. So listen, this is an anthropomorphism, okay? And you say, well, you just woke me up. I don't know what you just said. I don't know if I know it either. An anthropomorphism is when God describes himself in human terms so we can understand him. And so, because I'm asking you, do you think God really had to go down and get a close, to get a closer look at Sodom? No, God, God knew what was going on there. He's omniscient. He could see. He knew that according to Ezekiel 16, the three sins of Sodom, number one, were selfishness. They were full of themselves and that they were prosperous. And yet the poor around them, they weren't helping take care of any of those needs. They also knew the second sin, according to Ezekiel 16 of Sodom, was that they were full of pride and they were lifted up and they were haughty and they thought that they had all the answers. And the third was obviously impurity. There was sexual sin of, of promiscuity and homosexuality and these other sins that God had specifically said, these are, th these are sins against me, these aren't right, and he said, these are sins that, that, that I will judge. And listen, I'm not here making a political statement, I'm preaching the Bible this morning. And the truth of God's word stands the test of time no matter how our culture starts to redefine things. And I, and I want to do this in a spirit of love and I hope you see it. Because any sexual sin outside of marriage between a man and a woman is a sin. And God looks at it all as sin. And he looked at Sodom and looked at Gomorrah and he saw their sins of pride and he saw their sins of, of selfishness and he saw their sins of impurity. And, and he said, no, there's something going on there and I'm going to make sure that it's actually happening before I just go judge it. You know, listen, this is amazing that the Lord tells Abraham this purpose. He says, God, you know God wants you to know his purposes. He say, well, his ways are higher than mine. Well, sometimes I think we'd use that as a cop-out. Because he gave you a whole Bible to know about him. And he gives you his wisdom, and he gives you the Holy Spirit, and he wants you to know his purposes. He wants you to know what he's doing. He does not like to leave his, his followers in the dark. We're going to look more about that later. He wants you to know how he operates. It's possible to know God on that level. God wants Abraham to know his purposes. God also wants Abraham to get a glimpse of his character. When he said in verse 21 that I will go down and see uh, whether, uh, what they have done, whether it all together, it's according to the cry of it. Um, and he says uh, in verse 22, and the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. Listen, God is the rightful creator and judge. He could do whatever he wanted, but he lets it be known to Abraham. He says, listen, I investigate before I sentence. And this is important to the story. Because sometimes I think we jump to conclusions. We're really good at hearing a tidbit of information and assuming we know the whole story. And we're very good at being judgmental about other people. We're very good at saying, well, they're that way because of this and we write people off. But I want you to understand that Sodom and Gomorrah have long since been definitions of wickedness. Their name is, is, is connected to sinful wickedness and sexual impurity. And it has been for years and years and years. And yet God said, but Abraham, I want you to know I'm going to go down and see it. If, if what I've heard is actually true, I'm going to go down and check it out first. Because I'm a God that doesn't just judge before I investigate. He, he's a God, honestly, that it's innocent until proven guilty. And he, he's going to go make sure. And this is such an act of mercy. He didn't have to do that. He knew what was going on. But he wants Abraham to know that I'm a God of mercy. And this is where it gets interesting. Because the more Abraham knows about God's purposes and character, the closer he wants to get. Because it says in verse 22, the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. In verse 23, and Abraham drew near. And this is so good. Listen, the more you know about the Lord, the closer you want to be. 
The more you know about God, the more you learn about his purposes, and the more you learn about his character and his justice, but his mercy and his, his holiness, but his, his love, the, the closer you want to be. When, when Abraham was, started to recognize God's, um, God's uh, love and mercy for people and that God is a God that does things the right way, he drew near to God. The more Abraham learned, the closer he wanted to be. And listen, anyone can be close to God. Let me just tell you that again. Anybody can be close to God. You can be his friend. He reveals himself to all of creation. He reveals himself through his word. And you've got a Bible available to you right in that pew if you didn't bring one this morning. Friendship with God is not an exclusive club. You don't have to pay massive fees to get in and only the rich get in. No, anybody can join and be as close as they want to be. You can know his purposes and you can know his character if you will simply diligently seek those things through this book right here. You decide how close you get to the Lord. It's not like the the president or some other famous politician or athlete that have bodyguards and they've got protection and you only get close if they invite you. That's how it is with most famous people. You don't don't get close unless they allow you in. But I'm telling you, the most famous, the most powerful, the most loving being in all of the universe has no bodyguards. As a matter of fact, he says, I will let anybody in. If you will come to me and and humble yourself before me and seek me, you can be as close to me as you want to be. And listen, friends, once you let the walls down and humble yourself and realize the greatest thing you can do is be friends with God, he doesn't stop there. He keeps revealing himself to you like he did with Abraham. I want to tell Abraham. I want them to know more. The more you know, the more you seek, and the more you're going to get from God. He doesn't close us off. No, it doesn't, friend, it doesn't matter what race, and it doesn't matter what color. It doesn't matter where you're from or what country you're from or what language you speak. God is no respecter of persons, and anybody can be friends with God. The privilege of friendship with God is he keeps revealing himself. It's revelation. You could say it this way, he keeps speaking. Through his word, he keeps revealing himself. And as long as you put yourself in a position to be spoken to, he'll keep on speaking. If you obey and worship and in fellowship and serve, God says, why would I hide this from them? Why would I close this off? I want them to know. If you're God's friend, he communicates. He wants you to know. That's what friends do, by the way. They communicate. So one of the privileges of friendship is that you get to talk to your friends. And they open up. And if you have a friend that won't open up to you, you won't call them friends very long. Friends do that. They communicate. That's how we define friendship. We, it's about communication. It's about, you, know, you spend time, you say something, they say something, you open up to each other. And this is exactly what God does with, with Abraham. He opens up. And if the first part of, of the passage is about God's revelation, the second half is about access. The second privilege of being God's friend, the first was revelation. But the second is intercession. You see, God doesn't just speak, he listens. He allows Abraham to come and speak to him in ways that only friends would. Verse 23, and Abraham drew near and said, wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? See, Abraham begins interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah. And I find this interesting because according to God's standard of righteousness, if Sodom and Gomorrah are as wicked as he has heard, do they deserve judgment? Well, yes, they do. But Abraham begins pleading for God to show them mercy. And look what he bases his pleas on. He pleads for Sodom and Gomorrah based on God's character. What he knows about God. See, Abraham takes what he knows about God and he uses that as his basis for the prayer. Abraham knows what they deserve. And, but he also knows that God's a God of mercy. And so he appeals to God based on that. And he knows, listen, he knows that God has just said, I'm going to go investigate before I, before I judge I'm going to go look and make sure. And God, Abraham also knows how God has dealt with people in the past. Abraham, in his mind, he's probably thinking back to Genesis 6. And he knows how back in Genesis 6, when there was wickedness all over the earth, and God said, I'm going to send a flood, I'm going to wipe out the earth. But he looked and he saw one man whose name was 
Noah, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord because he was righteous. God, and Abraham knows God doesn't destroy the righteous with the wicked. And so he appeals to God based on what he knows about God. And is, God is a God of justice, yes, but, and it's within his rights to judge. But, but God has proven to be a God of mercy. He's proven to be a God of love. He's proven to be uh, that, that he preserves the righteous. And Abraham knows that. And he intercedes on Sodom and Gomorrah's half based on what he knows of God. You know, I think we'd be surprised how many times we pray for things that are completely outside the character and purposes of God. You know, we're really good at praying for things that, that we, we want or things we need, we think we need. We don't spend nearly enough time praying for things that reflect the purposes and character of God. But the more you know God, the more you'll pray things that please God. See, knowing him aligns our, our prayers to his will Proverbs 28, 9, he that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. You know what that's saying is if you don't listen and heed God's word, when you pray, it is ineffective. Because when you pray without knowledge of God, you are praying for things God doesn't have any interest in. And I, I, don't, mean, I don't mean to seem callous about it, but, but we often pray selfish prayers. And God's not interested in feeding our selfishness. He wants his will to be done. Abraham knew that God had spared righteous before. And so he says, God, will you spare them again? And he asked these three questions. Okay, we'll look here. We're getting down close to the application here. These three questions that Abraham asked in verse 23, he says, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Verse 24, he says, Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are therein? And then in verse 25, he says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? See, Abraham does not dispute God's right to judge. Abraham, he doesn't even doubt his ability to judge. He knows that God can do anything. But what Abraham is appealing to is the part of God's character that seeks to always do the right thing. He says, shall the judge of all the earth do right? You know, if there was one important character trait of God in this whole passage, it's the, it's the two things. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. And will God, the judge, does he always do right? Yes. Always. And Abraham knows that about God. And he appeals to God based on the fact that God always does right. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works, the Bible says in Psalm 145. Everything else could fall apart, friends, but never forget that the Lord Jehovah always does right. Abraham knew that, but he also knew that God is a perfect balance of mercy and justice. And when we focus, we, we, we tend to focus on one side of God's character. And when we do that, we find ourselves praying for the wrong things. You know, if you're a person, so most of us have a certain aspect of our personality that tends to one extreme or the other. You know, some of us are like, we're black and white. We're prophets. God strike them down. And that's how we pray because we lean on to one side of God's character. Some of us, on the other hand, may be merciful. Bleeding hearts, you might call them. And we always say, God, give them a second chance. We love them. You know, if we, if we lean toward one way or the other too much, we find ourselves in extreme cases thinking that, well, that's how God always, he's always strikes him dead, or God always forgives. No, God is a perfect balance of all of his character traits. And if we find ourselves being extreme in certain areas of, of, of our character and our personality, then we are doing God a disservice. That's not how he is. For, for, so for us to pray that God just wipes them all out, that ignores the fact that God's a God of mercy. But to pray that God always overlooks their sin, that's forgetting that God is a God of justice. Abraham found a balance here. You know why? Because he knew God. He could pray a prayer that aligned with God's will because he knew God. And friend, the more you know God, the more accurate your prayer will be. And I just want you to consider the difference that Abraham's knowledge of God made in this story. Verse 26. And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. You know, you know what happens? God actually responds to Abraham's prayer. 
I mean, notice, Abraham wasn't just praying for God to spare Lot. Now, I have to say this. I do believe that part of Abraham's motivation was that Lot, his family, was in Sodom. And I have to think that, you have to think that Abraham was thinking about Lot and his family. But I want you to notice that when he asked God, he didn't just ask God to spare Lot and his family. He said, if you find a certain number, will you spare the whole city? Abraham was focusing on the mercy of God. He wasn't just, he wasn't just full of wrath and say, yeah, strike him dead. No, he wanted all of them to be spared. And when God, and God agrees, and so he says, okay, well, okay, 50. Yeah, you agreed to 50. Well, what about 45? So he starts negotiating, and, and it looks pretty successful. Some people say that Abraham was forcing God's hand. I don't believe that. I believe that Abraham, in humility, went before God, and, and he didn't want to just ask for everything all at once. And in humility, he's saying, okay, God, what about 45? God, what about 40? God says, if I find 40, what about 30? If I find 30, what about 20? If I find 30, yes, I'll spare it. And he gets down to the last one and he says, don't be angry, God. I'm going to ask one more time. What about 10? And some say that this was the number of Lot's family. Some say that this was the number of his sons and his daughters and their spouses. And I can't say for sure, but what I do know this is that God showed a lot of patience with his friend Abraham. And the closer you get to God and the more you intercede for people on God's behalf, the more confidence you have in God's character. I'm telling you, you'll pray differently. Uh, you, it won't be selfish. It won't be all about you. It won't be all about things God doesn't really care about. It will be about things that, God, that are important to God. You talk about a privilege of friendship. I mean, some say that Abraham pushed it far, but God allowed it. And listen, when you're a friend of God, it gives you the privilege of having God's patient ear in prayer. You enjoy intercession. You can come boldly. You can pray as a friend. You can pray with confidence. You can come and even ask God for things that some may, may seem, uh, think are presumptuous. But when you know God so well, like Abraham, you know that he wants to show mercy when it's possible. And I'm just telling you today, the more you get to know God, the more confidently you'll communicate with God. You can come with boldness. You can come with confidence. And, and sometimes, you know, we, we treat God like, like an acquaintance. You know, you, you don't talk to acquaintances the same way you talk to friends. You don't, maybe you don't know them very well and you're kind of, you know, a little bit uncomfortable. But listen, the more you know God, you get real comfortable. You start reading some of those prayers in the book of Psalms and you, David got real comfortable. David, it was friend, he was a friend of God. He had a man after God's own heart. And I'm just asking, sometimes we pray so liturgically. And I think it'd be good for us to get rid of all the formal language. I mean, you could still use formal language. God is a God that needs to be reverenced. But why don't you just be yourself with God? And once you know God, you'll have more opportunities to communicate on a level that you never did before. And I'm asking you, it's a privilege of friendship to intercede and pray. So when's the last time you interceded like Abraham did right here? If I'm summing this up so far, I would say, you know what the privileges of friendship with God are? That God speaks to you and he listens to you. That's friendship. If I was to define friendship, I might even say those are the two marks of friendship is that you talk and you listen to each other. That's what's happening here with Abraham. God is, God, some people say God's so hard. He's unreasonable. He's unfair. But Abraham would say, no, if you prioritize the Lord, he prioritizes friendship. The Lord, let, let him say God's only a God of justice and wrath. Abraham would say, no, he's a God of patience. He's a God of mercy. You know, people that are truly friends of God, they know he's balanced. Yes, he judges, but he also loves Yes, he's righteous, but he's merciful. And I know he's holy, but he's also a God of compassion. There is balance with God. And as you prove yourself to him, I'm telling you, you're going to find him to be the best friend you ever had. Other friends forget to call, but God doesn't. He reveals himself as much as you'll put yourself in a position to listen. Some people may not be good listeners, and you know this. Talking to some people, and they're kind of all over the place. I can do that sometimes. They look everywhere, they get distracted. Listen, not God. When you're talking to him, you have his full attention. When you're heartbroken, when you're burdened, he sets everything aside and he listens to your request. 
And what's amazing about all this is Abraham's request made a difference. You realize God didn't destroy the righteous with the wicked. There was one righteous man in Sodom. His name was Lot and God spared him along with two of his daughters. God gave the rest of them a chance to repent and they turned it down. But my point is that God listened to Abraham. He didn't just ignore his request. You know why? Because God's the greatest friend you could ever have. And I heard somebody say it like this. God lets you in. God lets you in and he never lets you down. I've known people that were too good to be my friend. But I've never known God to be too good for anyone else. See, the greatest privilege of friendship with God is that he speaks. And that he listens. But there's one more in all this that I want to close with. And that is this. Yeah, God spoke. There's revelation. And yes, God listened. There's intercession. But I don't want to miss this biggest piece, and that is this. Abraham's closeness to God made him more like God. See, this one, if there's, if there's, if there's revelation and there's intercession, there's also a transformation that takes place. And, you, and the, more that, the closer that you are to God, the more that you're around God, the more you become like God. I'm not saying you become a God. I'm saying you become, alike, you become like God. You know how I know that God's friendship with Abraham was changing Abraham? Is because after God said, I'm going to go down and look and make sure that the cry is what I've heard. Abraham comes to God and appeals to God's mercy. He comes and he says, now, I know you're a God of mercy. And Abraham is showing signs of mercy in his own life. He's not ready to just go judge and just go throw it down. No, he wants mercy. And I'm telling you, as you hear in Revelation and, God, and you speak in intercession, that closeness with God, you start to experience transformation. The greatest privilege, friends, of friendship with God is that it will make you more like God. Your life's calling is to be like Christ. That's how you and I fulfill our ultimate purpose in life. You know how that happens? time spent with Christ you ever spend a lot of time around somebody and and you don't even realize but you're starting to pick up on their habits their traits the way they talk we were spending some time with with people that we know from down south and and Aaron was talking and and she said something I don't know if she said you betcha or something like that and they were like you betcha it's like you sound like a South Dakotan I was waiting for it to break out, I suppose. <laughs> you know, my wife is funny. She has this tendency, the people she's around, she starts talking like them. You should see her dad's church in California full of Filipinos. You should hear that. It's awesome. <laughs> she just picks up on it. But, you know, I, I, it's funny, but it's like the, the, the series I preached, Family Traits. You know, you can't spend all that time around somebody and not start it have to change, having changing you. And the more time that you spend with Christ, the more different you'll become. And so the greatest privilege of friendship is, yes, he reveals himself. And yes, he listens to us. But in that whole process of communication, he changes us from where we are to what we're supposed to be. And what I see in Genesis 18 is a man called Abraham who's starting to look a lot more and more like God. And the more that you know and communicate with God, the more he changes you from where you are to where you're supposed to be, which is the most important thing that you could ever do in your life is to be like Christ. So I'm going I'm to bring it back around. Turn over to John 15. I'm going to ask you the question again at the end. Are you God's friend? Are you friends with God? If, if you're wondering, I don't know, okay, well, we could start with all those things Abraham did, obedience, worship, fellowship, and service. Ask yourself, do I have those things? But we could also go through this passage and say, am I a friend of God? Wait, okay, does he speak to me? Do I, not audibly, okay, not audibly through his word. Do you get anything from it when you open your Bible and you read it? 
When's the last time that God spoke to you through his word? When's the last time that he moved in you through his word? When's the last time he revealed something to you that you needed to know? And I'm not talking mystically or strange in a strange way. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit illuminates God's word to your heart. And you see something for the first time that you haven't seen before. Or you see something again that you haven't seen in a while. When's the last time that happened to you? Because if you're a friend of God, that happens. Revelation happens. So if you're wondering if you're a friend of God, what about intercession? When's the last time that you begged God for him to do something? When's the last time that you just cleared off a spot and for maybe minutes or hours or even an attitude that, um, that went over days at a time that you were praying for something so seriously that you, would not, you didn't want to let go till he answered it? Now, listen, intercession is a privilege of friendship, but far too few Christians ever practice it. We're, we're interested in being busy and we've got other things to do. And so I'm asking you today, or if you're a friend of God, is there intercession in your life? Do you communicate with God to that level? Is there, are you a friend of God? Well, are you, have you been transformed? We've got some, at least two in this room right now that I'm thinking of very clearly that have been going through discipleship. And I'm telling you, the change is, it's night and day. God's growing people and he's changing them because, Patrick, when you expose yourself to the word of God, like you have the last couple months, I'm telling you, it's, it transforms you, doesn't it? Josh, it transforms you, doesn't it? It changes everything. And we can look around the room and see people that have, at times in their lives, they've, they've exposed themselves to this, this process of revelation. I want to hear from God. Intercession, I want to speak to God. And then suddenly, without even trying, they look down and say, well, I'm different. All this time that I spend in communication, all this time I spend around God, it's changing me. I'm telling you, it can happen to you too. You're afraid if you submit everything that, that maybe everything will change. If you say, here's my everything, you think, oh, it's going to change everything. It, well, it will. But it will be for the better. Or maybe you don't think you're good enough. No, listen, God's no respecter of no persons. You're just as eligible for his circle as anybody else. And if he would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah for ten righteous, you're not too far away from God. Maybe you say, well, I don't trust anybody. Wait, God always does right. You can let him in. You say, well, you know, I, think, I don't think he'll care about me. No, listen, if he cared about the wicked in Sodom, he cares about you. The problem is not God's willingness to be our friend. The problem is our willingness to be God's. Look at John chapter 15. This is Jesus Christ, and the subject is friendship. It says in verse, we'll start in verse 12. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You know, the greatest act of friendship that could ever happen is what we're going to celebrate tomorrow, Memorial Day. That somebody would die for somebody else. But you know, Jesus Christ did something nobody else could have done. He died for your sins. You wonder if God wants to be your friend. Well, he went the ultimate length for you. There's no length the God of heaven won't go to be your friend. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. You know what he did? He said, I'll lay my, my life down for you. I'll die for your place. And all I ask, if you want to be my friend, all I ask of you is that you obey me. That seems like a pretty good deal for us, doesn't it? He dies, we obey, we have the greatest friend you could ever imagine. But look at the next verse. Henceforth I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my father, I have made known unto you. That's exactly what he did with Abraham. He had big purposes. And because Abraham was his friend, he let Abraham in on the secret. And you know what? He has big purposes and he's an incredible character and he wants you to know all about it. He doesn't leave anybody out. He lets everybody in. And the only reason we don't get let in is because we don't submit. You know, you want that kind of a friend, you say, well, all you have to do is, he said, all you have to do is obey. You want to gain a friend that will go to any length for you? Obey. That's how it worked with Abraham. The Lord knew him well. He knew he was going to obey and he said, that's a friend that I want. You want a friend that sticks closer than a brother? Obey God. 
I'm telling you, friendship is available to every person in this room. But so many live their lives without a true friend. And they miss out on all that God wants to do. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer, intercession. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Yes. Is there trouble anywhere? More like everywhere. We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrow share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, he's still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends, because, you know, we define friends different way. You've got friends. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee. Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms, the, the true friend, in his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. And those are words to a hymn that we've probably sung how many times. But they're so true. The greatest friend you could ever have wants to, is the greatest friend. He's available right now. If you would simply submit yourself to him, you could have a friend that has this kind of interaction that Abraham did. And if you're not friends with God, though, you're missing out on revelation. He doesn't speak. You're missing out on intercession. He does, you, you don't have a relationship. You're missing out on transformation. You don't change. And I'm telling you, to miss out on those privileges is a big loss. Are you a friend of God? James 2, Abraham was called the friend of God. Is, is Olga called the friend of God? Is Ken the friend of God? Is Patrick the friend of God? Is Chad the friend of God? Is Jason the friend of God? I can tell you there's no other label I'd rather carry in my life than being the friend of God. The greatest friend who laid down his life will be your friend if all you do is obey. It's available to you this morning. The best friend you'll ever have. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.